You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. I'll just know that a lot of the areas that were worse, as far as plastic goes, were often protected nature preserves um, because those beaches were were not raked uh, by the municipality and people didn't go out there to pick up the beach like you would perhaps your local beach that you live on. Um, so those beaches, we often would each fill up two burlap bags, which was really, you know, sort of the limit of what we could carry along with whatever odds and ends we might be able to kind of finagle. But we would fill up our bags and then up just walking past thousands of other pieces of plastic on the beach that we just literally physically couldn't carry with us. And it was overwhelming and heartbreaking to see because those are the beaches that people don't really get out to. They don't notice. They don't see how much plastic has been washed up. And so those were the the really bad areas. That was Brian Galvin and Heather Boland of Plastic Symptoms and their 2019 Plast Truck, which circumnavigated the Florida Peninsula by mostly foot along Florida's sandy shoreline. Brian and Heather came together when they both had ideas to raise awareness about the plastic and trash issue plaguing the world's shorelines, but focusing on the state of Florida. Together they planned their trek, and in this episode they share the logistics of undertaking this trek, what they found along the shoreline, and some of their favorite areas walked or paddled. Brian and Heather also offer up some ideas on how we as hikers and backpackers can work on our own plastic symptoms out on the trail and take some of those lessons back into off-trail life. I know this issue is something I've been thinking about for several years and only recently have I been looking at ways to combat my own use of plastic. Hopefully you'll be able to glean some ideas from this episode and take to heart some of the things they are talking about. This episode coincides with episodes 13 and 16 with the Sunshine State Seekers and Josh Pacecar-Johnson, 2019 groundskeepers for the Florida Trail. They have been working to pick up trash along the Florida Trail and other natural areas in the Sunshine State this year, and hopefully when their tenure is up in 2020, I can get them back on to talk about what was found along the Florida Trail. Go ahead and consider this an invite, y'all. Show notes for the episode can be found at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com and you can find me on Instagram at orangeblazepodcast. Don't forget the hiker submission episode that recently came out. I want to hear from upcoming 2020 hikers on your biases and thoughts going into your hike and I want to hear from veteran hikers some advice for these 2020 hikers. Details and links to where to find the episode can be found in the show notes. All right, on to the episode. Um. Yeah, so you heard me, or Heather heard me rattling away, and you weren't even able to hear us, but um, I was saying that it's pretty great that this all kind of came together in the last week, so I was very thankful you guys were able to podcast so quickly and uh, and get this done. Um, so anyway, thank you, and maybe if you guys want to start, because um, I really I spent some time going through your website and your Instagram and watching some of your YouTube videos, but... I still don't really know a whole lot about y'all, so maybe you want to kind of introduce yourselves, uh, a little bit of back, your backgrounds, and how you guys kind of came together to make the uh, the Plast Trek happen. Sure. sure. Thank you for having us on. Um, Heather, I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, thank you again, Misty, for having us. Um, so I am originally from Maine, and so I grew up kind of like in the outdoors, um, really caring about the environment a lot. Uh, I ended up going to school for environmental studies and animal rights. And then I left my job with a nonprofit um, in Seattle after working there for about three and a half years um, to hike the Appalachian Trail. So I hiked um, southbound from Maine to Florida in 2009, and it took me six months. And after that, I really wanted to continue doing more hikes. And the Florida Trail kind of had always been um, on my list uh, because one of my um, role models who I looked up to in the through hiking world uh, was a hiker by the name of Jupiter Hikes. And he kind of, you know, (laughs) I'm sure you know, made headlines (laughs) uh, a few years ago with his um, hike from... Quebec down to Key West with a six pound backpack mm-hmm. uh, so I began following him after that uh, because my mom lives in Lake Worth uh, South Florida so she saw the article about him in the newspaper and sent it to me and 
that kind of inspired me to do the Appalachian Trail and do it vegan. Um, I didn't do it with a six pound backpack, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but still striving, striving to get there. Um, so he had always talked about the Florida Trail and how much he loved it. Um, so the Florida Trail was on my radar as something I wanted to do. Um, and then I was thinking that because I had spent six months in the woods and kind of just cold and rainy and snowy towards the end, I wanted to do something um, that was in a warmer, drier environment in the sun um, and began thinking about the beaches of Florida. And my mom and I would walk the beaches picking up plastic off the beach and um, we noticed how many straws there were in about one mile section of the beach. And it was around the same time when the video came out of the sea turtle with a straw in its nose. And there's so many sea turtles that nest on Florida beaches that I was like, why, you know, like, why is the state allowing plastic straws um, to be used in businesses along the coastline? It seems ridiculous to me um, when so many animals depend on the beach for their survival. So I began thinking about the idea of hiking the perimeter of Florida. Um, I actually ran the idea by Jupiter Hikes. He thought that it was an amazing idea. He didn't think anybody had ever done it before. Um, super supportive of it. Um, ran it by a few more people until somebody suggested that I Google to see if anyone indeed had ever done that before. Um, so um, that's when I found Brian and the organization that he founded called Plastic Symptoms and his YouTube videos. So I began watching that and learning about his hike in 2017 down the east coast of Florida while picking up plastics. So it was, it's kind of crazy to me that somebody else also had a similar idea um, to not only walk such a large stretch of the Florida coastline, but also pick up plastic um, and bring awareness to that. So, um, I shared, I reached out to him, ultimately, um, sent an email to Plastic Symptoms talking about, um, the hike that I wanted to do and how I wanted to bring awareness to plastic pollution in our oceans and try to encourage Florida, uh, lawmakers to ban certain single-use plastics within the state because I felt like that was, you know, an effective way to make change. Um, and to do it somewhat quickly. Um, so I was hoping that with a hike like that, that we would be able to gain enough media attention to do that. Um, and Flor Brian had uh, responded back to me saying that he also had a similar idea um, and suggested that I team up with Plastic Symptoms and that we do it together. Um, so he ended up living only 20 minutes away from my mom um, and Delray. So we met up for lunch and then um, kind of worked on it from a distance. I went up to Georgia the day after that to start a job that I had up there for about six months. So every week we did Skype calls and um, started a Google Drive together with different documents, planning the hike, um, planning all of our water crossings and sponsorships and um, gear and food and um, everything that we could think of uh, beforehand to start the trek. Um, yeah. So Brian, um, since you had done this before, and I mean, you're you're a Florida native, right? Yes. So I mean, from your perspective, I guess what drove you to even start Plastic Symptoms in the first place? <clears throat> um. Well, it couldn't it couldn't have really took off without Heather. Um and. Uh, starting plastic symptoms was trying to um, diagnose uh, the plastic as a medical condition um, rather than a um, marine debris or a litter problem um, that most people commonly refer uh, marine debris and ocean plastics to. Um, and when I would go surfing or enjoy time at the beach growing up, I don't remember when I was younger, building sandcastles, boogie boarding, surfing finding so much plastic um, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until like after high school and um, meeting with people that were uh, becoming marine biologists um, friends from high school that would get me to take pictures of trash and litter on the beach or in the parking lots and stuff like that and I realized that 
um, I couldn't, I didn't even connect the dots that I was responsible for all the plastic I had bought in my life. And that was out there floating around in the environment and in the world. And so, um, I'm a lifeguard and I do ocean rescue as well as I was a swim coach. And I just remember finding all these plastic bottles that people would bring to, um, the swim competitions and swim practice, um, and finding plastic when I would surf and it became something more of like an epidemic. And when you describe something as like a medical condition and uh, lifeguarding, uh, your first uh, act is to recognize what the issue is. And the second is to uh, take um, the affected person or patron away from the issue and the problem. And I realized that the uh, solution that we commonly know is like recycling, but um, recycling puts more into our environment, not less. Um, so uh, when I started really thinking about it, I realized that the issue wasn't that, you know, people didn't care as, you know, people mistakenly think it's just litter. People are leaving their plastic behind on the beaches. It's more so that it's being discharged from the ocean. So at first I came up with oceanic plastic discharge and I wanted to, people to mm -hmm. understand that it's plastic discharging from the ocean. It's a symptom of a disease, and um, this symptom uh, is curable uh, as long as we um, stop the use of these plastics in the first place. And so um, I didn't know uh, how to really get that point across to people. Um, I would try to uh, educate them because all of a sudden it became like a dire emergency. I was telling everybody it the swim competitions and stuff and other lifeguards and other people I would come across and um, they didn't really, they said, yeah, it's litter or yeah, it's marine debris. But when you call it what it is as plastic, it directly puts the responsibility and the power into the hands of the consumers and corporations. You know, we don't go to the store and buy litter. We don't go to the store and buy marine debris, but we do go to the store and buy plastic. And so, um, I had stumbled on an article uh, from Hawaii that uh, described it as a symptom. And I was like, yes, that's absolutely correct. Um, so I started sharing that and my wheels were turning. Um, so what Heather had stumbled on was basically an idea. Uh, it was an Instagram page trying to educate my local community here in Florida um, and then a website. And in the back of my mind, I had a vision of a solution um, to mitigate plastics in the first place. And I didn't know really where to start except for to get the awareness out there. And um, I came up with walking the entire coast of Florida, um, but it turned into just me and I couldn't find other people to really devote time or themselves to it. It had never been done. Um, and I would look it up and Google it and all I would find was the barefoot mailman who did um, 60 miles at about 10 miles a day. And so I figured how many miles, you know, can I walk to make people want to pay attention? Um, and uh, so I realized that 20 miles a day was something of an undertaking that would uh, wow people. So that maybe they would pay attention to the symptoms and mm -hmm. came up with hike 420 um, and decided to walk the entire east coast of Florida. Um, and I did it in 22 days, the goal was 400 miles in 20 days. And that's what Heather had stumbled on online. Okay. So you guys came together with both great, brilliant ideas. And honestly, I'm surprised that nobody else has, I know people have paddled around the state of Florida, but I have surprised that nobody's walked around the perimeter before. So, um, so it sounds like you were kind of starting from scratch, I guess, with planning. So you said you wanted to hike about 20 miles a day. Um, I guess, and you were Skyping to plan, what other, what other things went into that prep beforehand? Um, yeah, we, I mean, ideally it would have been amazing to hike 20 miles a day, but I knew that was also kind of shooting for the stars because it's very tiring and very difficult to walk in sand. Um, and yeah. just in general under the hot sun, um, every day for that long. So ultimately, we end up doing closer to like seven to fifteen mile days um, on average, um, taking a few more days off than 
we had originally planned on, um, but that were needed. And we we knew that uh, we wanted to try to stay as plastic-free as possible. So we reached out to a bunch of different sponsors um, who would be able to donate um, things such as water bottles to us, um, plastic-free sunscreen, um, plastic-free sunglasses, um, hats, uh, those types of things, um, so that we could set an example as well. Um, that we was, that, I'm sorry, and that, and that was definitely a conundrum. I found myself in, in Hike 420 and learned from where people that just didn't understand the issue, the plastic issue at all, you know, would say, well, you use plastic. And so we realized we had to be pretty strict on, you know, being plastic free um, throughout our entire trek, um, even more so than when I did the hike 420 um, back in 2017. Right. Um, right. And for me, as a previous Appalachian Trail through hiker, that was a whole new challenge because when you're doing a through hike, your main concern is weight, how much you're mm -hmm. carrying with you the entire time. And um, so on the AT, everybody had smart water bottles, you know, just these plastic water bottles that would, they would refill all the time and um, bars and other snacks that were always wrapped in plastic uh, because they were cheap and convenient um, so to try to stay away from that on this hike posed, um, definitely, um, a new and interesting challenge. And we had to, um, stock up on food beforehand. For instance, we went to Whole Foods and bought a lot of our food in bulk, um, in paper bags so that we, um, were not just buying cliff bars and so forth that were, um, in single use plastics. And we had reusable water bottles that we had used. Um, cause initially we were kind of going back and forth with whether or not we were going to hike the entire coastline, um, without any kind of assist. Um, uh, but then, um, Brian presented the need to collect and save all the plastic that we were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that was an undertaking on its own. And then let alone, uh, having the stainless steel water bottles versus like a plastic reusable water bottle uh, adds weight. And so, you know, trying to get something that's insulated versus a single, uh, you know, not insulated bottle, you know, to reduce our weight. And so there was definitely a lot of technical things that went into how much can we carry on our backs? How much plastic can we carry at one time? Um, and how overwhelming the shorelines really were versus how much we were able to collect off the beaches um, and even filling up plastic free like on our food and on our drinks and things like that was part of the awareness effort to we, we would try as hard as we could we knew ultimately that Florida would run into some issues with vendors markets and um, local initiatives to be plastic free um, so we were also educating businesses and places we would go to about the plastics in our project as we would try to sustain ourselves plastic free. So it became even more of a challenge as we walked further down the coast and especially in like rural areas. Um, so it was definitely, yeah. a, definitely a <laughs> conundrum. How are we gonna carry all the plastic? Yeah. yeah. In the rural areas, there weren't any Whole Foods. So we were forced to <laughs> use Dollar Generals and gas stations where you know, you'd buy canned food, but again, that's heavy and not convenient. Um, so we plastic ultimately bags. had to resort to some foods that we bought in plastic when there were no other options. Right. So you guys, did y'all start in Jacksonville or I, was there like an arbitrary start point? And I guess how strict were you to staying to walking? Because I know you guys had a support vehicle and you're you having to save all this plastic I guess talk a little bit about those logistics yeah the um the start point was fernandina beach which is the florida georgia border and literally when we walked out on the beach we were on the north side of florida and we could uh look over the um river and see georgia um and that that was definitely one of the hardest issues uh i experienced in hike 420 because when i started the trek i was completely alone um, and I had my truck and so I would have to 
walk as far as I could, ask people for rides, Uber, um, or lift myself back to the truck, drive the truck back down and come back. And so we kind of followed that same um, idea, uh, the two of us together. Um, and we, of course, looked for someone to be a full-time truck driver, but uh, it's definitely hard with funding and um, uh, people taking time off, especially to uh, volunteer themselves and commit to a 1,200-mile, four-month project. Right. So, so, and that's, and did it work out pretty well for you to hitchhike back to your truck every day, or do you have any logistic issues where you're stuck having to call the Uber? Is that was that an often thing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, we we got a lot of help from locals. It was definitely in uh, in this last in the Plaza Trek 2019. We definitely saw a lot of a lot more local support. Um, and the two of, between the two of us, we were able to rely on you know the contacts that either she or I had, um, and uh, try to stay away from using funding to. Uh, bring ourselves back up the coast to get the truck to put the plastic in Um, and even sometimes like our bags would fill up and we'd have to tie them off and drop a pin on our map and um, hide them (laughs) and hide them under a boardwalk or under a parking garage or something to uh, drive back and pick them up on our way back down before the sunset sometimes after the sun already set right Okay. Now, I guess, did you guys camp on the beach a lot, or were you staying in your car, in the truck? No. Um, So, we had a one-person tent that I had used from the Appalachian Trail. (laughs) So, we quickly realized that it was, um, you know, a tight squeeze for two of us. It was doable, but not very comfortable. Um, And we didn't want to sleep on the beach because it's... Uh, first of all, illegal during sea turtle nesting season, um, and we didn't want to disturb the wildlife, so we actually never ended up sleeping on the beach, um, but we would sleep mm. at state parks. Um, we would sleep... Well, except in, like, you know, 10,000 islands or... The Everglades. Or the Ever- yeah, the Everglades. Yeah, where it was allowed, we were able to do that. Um but otherwise, we um, we avoided having to sleep on the beach, um, and um, sometimes we would get put up in hotel rooms, or um, a lot of times we would end up staying with with friends and family along the way. So um, that worked out really well for us. Um, and the community just opened their doors to us. A lot of times, they would hear of what we were trying to do, what our goal was. We'd you know, give them our website, they would check it out. Sometimes people would look at us with like their head turned a little bit and then they would check it out and then they would immediately like call us or or get a hold of us and say they had a couch or a room or something and and so that was overwhelming support um from the Florida community uh to to complete our project. Right. So that's good. I mean it sounds like there were some I mean AT term, you know, the trail angel community sort of thing. There's people just randomly giving you guys trail magic uh, in a different kind of form. Um, but did do you think that any of your, I guess, evangelizing, if you want to say that, kind of wore off on anybody? Did anybody, like, take any of this plastic issue to heart? Definitely. I know, um, especially people we stayed with um, who didn't really think about their use of plastic in their lives after we stayed with them for one, two or three nights. Um, We'd often hear from them later on that we had really impacted their habits and that they had changed uh, their ways because we influenced them to, to really think twice about it and to realize that every time they go grocery shopping, almost everything is wrapped in plastic so it's so hard to stay away from it. And yeah, c- constantly people would actually apologize for the plastic or create excuses <laughs> for the plastic. And, and it was like, you know, um, it, it was definitely an impact on them. We know we left them with that impact. And, and so that, that was definitely uh, fulfilling to, um, to, to leave them with something to think about. Um, but 
it was more of like, hey, you know, it's not it's not us you need to apologize to or anything. It's just something that, you know, that, that's the point in our trek. We're trying to put this in people's head that we are all responsible for our plastic uh, pollution in the ocean. Right, right. So how much were you collecting on a daily basis, do you think? I mean, did you kind of average that out? It would vary heavily. Um, uh, some some days we would fill six burlaps, no problem, weighing you know near a hundred pounds, and some days it would be a, a small amount that we would just barely fill a burlap or a half a burlap, depending on uh, windward and leeward um, uh, movements and and currents and things like that. Um, so it was definitely mm-hmm. interesting to see, like especially local plastics, local. Uh, pollution uh, from like beach clubs or restaurants um, and or things that we would see all the time down in Lake Worth or Del Rey that were coming in from uh, the Caribbean or South America or Cuba or um, mm-hmm. you know, all over the world. Right. And did you see any difference between, say, parks like, you know, Canaveral National Seashore um, versus just up the, you know, up the beach from Daytona when you can drive on the beach? Um, was there any distinction or is it, did you even just see, like, no matter where you went, there was just tons of plastic? Uh, definitely, definitely a difference. Definitely, definitely tons of plastic no matter where you look, though, but being as like the types of plastic in Daytona, it seemed like a lot more fresh litter. Um, and where we were in Canaveral National Seashore, it was definitely like uh, balloons and uh, bags and bottles and caps that were washing in, you know, and uh, you would pop these balloons that you assume have been out there for uh, months or weeks um, or maybe maybe even a year or so. Uh, and you would pop them, and you would you would almost get like punched in the face with a uh, with with a plastic smelling helium gas that was like mm. uh, starting to like ferment in these balloons. Um, uh, and so, like, there was definitely different definitely a, a cultural difference between each shoreline. Um, the environment uh, changed dramatically, especially. Um, in areas where there were seawalls, you could see the beach erosion, uh, areas where they were um, raking the seaweed uh, off the beaches or trying to clean up the beaches. Um, and, and you would definitely run into people that had pride in their beaches that didn't want to admit their beaches were dirty. Uh, oh, our beach, is, our beach is clean. You know, we don't litter here. And, and so that's, that's kind of like the point. You don't have to litter it. You just have to be a part of the demand for the plastic and therefore you are part of the problem, unfortunately. And, and it's, it's a hard truth to swallow for a lot of us that um, grew up, um, especially millennials that have only known plastic in their lives. Um, But when we really think about it, like this, this plastic life that we're living right now is only as old as we are. It's only about 30 years old. Like this throwaway mentality is brand new and we've already completely altered um our environment our beaches our shorelines are are it's it's tragic actually just in such a short time right i'll I'll just know that a lot of the areas that were worse as far as plastic goes were often protected nature preserves Mm -hmm. uh, because those beaches were were not raked uh, by the municipality and people didn't go out there to pick up the beach like you would perhaps your local beach that you live on. Um, So those beaches, we often would each fill up two burlap bags, which was really, you know, sort of the limit of what we could carry along with whatever odds and ends we might be able to kind of finagle. But we would fill up our bags and then up just walking past thousands of other pieces of plastic on the beach that we just literally physically couldn't carry with us and it was overwhelming and heartbreaking to see because those are the beaches that people don't really um get out to they don't notice they don't see how much plastic has been washed up and um so those were the the really bad areas um Mm -hmm. 
when we were down in the Everglades and the 10,000 Islands, we didn't see as much. Uh, It was a lot of ropes and buoys and crab traps. And, um, but I'm sure, you know, you go digging through the mangroves, you would find, um, quite a bit more plastic kind of deep within the mangroves. Um, and then going up the Gulf coast from the 10,000 islands up until about Siesta key, uh, Clearwater area. It was pretty free of plastic on those beaches because of the way the currents went. And then once we got up North of Clearwater and into, um, Port St. Joe and Mexico beach, um, Panama City, there was there was quite a lot of plastic again and, and quite a lot of plastic that we had seen on the east coast of Florida um, that was mainly coming from the Caribbean islands, we noticed. Yeah, it, it kind of sparked like the um, heartbreaking debate on whether picking it up or cities that go out there every day with a tractor to pick it up or just sweeping it under the rug, so to speak, where people aren't really bothered by it, so they don't know. So they continue their normal habits every day. And we would have conversations about things like that all the time. Like, you know, if these people really saw it every day and nobody was picking it up, it would be just as bad as um, a lot of these third world countries that are, uh, you know, and especially in like the preserves and stuff, like Heather said, they it would accumulate there and, and it was too far for people to walk a lot of times. Um, they might do a beach cleanup there once a month or once a, once a year, twice a year or something. Um, and uh, so that, that was, that was a heartbreaking debate. Like, you know, is picking it up doing more harm than good as people continue the demand for these plastics that don't go away um, in their daily lives. And um, so that's, that was kind of the point in walking and trekking, the coast, uh, or it became the point, uh, for, for us. I mean, that we can go out there every day and we can pick up plastic every day and we can turn around and, and, uh, go back the other way and it just wouldn't stop. You know, it, it was, it was a, almost like an infinity of plastic. And, um, and if people really, really realize that, you know, and, and as we would fill up our burlaps, we would try and geotag GPS tag, pictures of the plastics we couldn't pick up um, so we could document it for a for a data map and um, you know at least at least that way it's there for people to see right right um you bring up some good points and um i i'm from texas and i grew up going to the texas gulf coast a lot and mostly to the port aransas area and i remember as a kid in the 80s um Visiting and we would see a lot of things washing up from Mexico and it would be mm. in Spanish and things like that. And then there was a period of time where everything did get better. There was less trash on the beach. It felt like, I don't know, the, a golden era of, of there's no plastic in the ocean. And then you start hearing about the plastic again and the big the, the Pacific gyres and all of that. But it still wasn't really necessarily so much of things washing up as people leaving it on the beach in the more recent years. But um, these last couple of times I've gone to the beach in Galveston, the microplastics just in the water have been astounding. And, um, and it's, it's really hitting home for me that it's not, it's not an out there problem. Like you said, it's not a third world issue. It's, it's, it's here. Um, so, and it's, it's staring me in the face and I've definitely been working on trying to adjust my own, uh, consumption and it's, it's a hard, uh, task to turn around, but, um, you guys have inspiring me more as you're talking and, and, uh, reading about what you've done and just, and just thinking about it even more. So. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Um, when you get out there in person and see it with your own eyes, it really makes you second guess all of your actions and purchasing habits. But it definitely makes a difference. Yeah. Because you can no longer you can no longer go to the store and just pick up a you know a regular package or a bag of chips and put it in your cart. Like because Heather and I, when we were walking the coast, like we were seeing all of these things. So then when we would go in a store, all we would see in our minds was this plastic symptoms, these are going to end up in the ocean. These are going to end up in the environment. Even if you recycle it, it, it ends up 
put every recycled piece of plastic, even if it says 100% recycled on it, the truth is it took at least 40% fresh plastic resin to manufacture that plastic item. So even when they say, oh, it's 100% recycled plastic, well, the recycling process puts more plastic in the environment alone, just breaking the plastics down, and it comes out as microplastics straight into our water. Um, and then as well, in order for the molecular structure of the, uh, the block, it's called, you know, the blocks of the plastic, for them to align, they have to introduce fresh resin. And otherwise, the integrity of the plastic, it would break, it would be brittle. Um, so it's kind of a giant lie. And we've been fed this as a solution for our entire lives. And mm -hmm. that's, that's got to change. Right. So what was some of the stranger things you found on the beaches? <laughs> oh, boy. Mm, we found, I mean, we've been asked that question a lot, but it's, it's hard to answer. Um, All of it's strange. I mean, yeah. from, from an environmental standpoint, it shouldn't be there, but um, found everything from like condoms to uh, uh, toothpicks, medical waste, medical waste um, like it was doggy bags, a lot of do people like to pick up their dog's poop and then throw the bag. Yes, yeah. we've noticed this before in just in parks. Uh, we just see this a ton recently. Just people leave their, their bags. I don't understand what this is. <laughs> right? So frustrating. Light bulbs. <sighs> Toilet seats. Toilet seats. Poopy <laughs> um, um, head. Um. <laughs> Barbies, dolls. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I saw the photo of the the floss pickers. As just get saw a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Not just on the beach, but I mean, at basically any parking lot we ever <laughs> went into, it yeah. always seemed like people were flossing in their cars. So it's <laughs> it's everywhere. You say people are flossing their cars. I'm like picturing people breaking down doing the floss dance move. That, <laughs> right. But yeah, no, seriously. And even even at work now, um, back in society in the real world here, it's like, um, you know, I, I, I find it. I've, I've taken so many pictures the last few days. Um, just uh, I was at Home Depot the other day and I was loading something in a truck and I was like, really? Like there's a, a, a floss right there, like one of those plastic flosses. Mm. yeah yeah today i saw one too they're everywhere so do uh was it hard to or maybe you still do was it hard to like switch over and not be picking up all this stuff or are you still kind of like finding yourself cleaning up after people right it never ends really yeah. i mean <clears throat> i think it's habituated you know both brian and i have done this for years on our own and our personal lives and um so it's one of those things where you just, you just can't help yourself but pick it up when you see it um and it does make it hard to go to the beach and just try to enjoy yourself and not <laughs> think about plastic or not you know try to um try to uh, you know notice all of it but it's it's just kind of everywhere these days so um it's really hard to to avoid that um, definitely and like plot i mean going to the beach used to be like the, my safe haven and i'm sure it's the exact same with heather and and uh you go out there just to go surf or just to sit and it's like you know i try to get away from society i try to get away from the store and, and, the, and the supermarkets right here on the beach like it's all right there it's in the water. It's when you paddle out. It's if the two of us go for a walk, we've, you know, we, we would go for walks and we came back just to walk to the store, or do something like that. And, you know, we've had ourselves with hands full of plastic. And, um, uh, and that's, that's why it's, it's super imperative that people understand that picking it up, I mean, will solve nothing unless we stop it. You know, it's like somebody that is dehydrated or, um, somebody that is having a heat stroke, you know, if you don't get them out of the, out of the sun, 
you're not going to accomplish anything. You can't, you can't assume that you're going to, uh, hydrate somebody or, uh, get their health back if, unless you put them in the shade and away from the source of the burn and the source of the burn for plastic is our plastic lifestyles. Right. So what did you do with everything that you collected? Did you try to recycle what you could or did you just throw it in the dump? <laughs> Sitting in a barn. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what after, so we managed to collect all 3000 pounds of plastic that we picked up off the beaches with um, several friends and family members who were very conscientious and helpful in helping us out and allowing us to store um, bags of plastic at their houses uh, throughout the trip. We would fill up the back of the pickup truck until it couldn't be filled anymore. And then uh, (laughs) we would leave it at a friend's house. Um, So we had about five different locations by the end where we had piles of these plastic and then um we filed for a permit to dump it on the front steps of the florida state capitol building and so we were able to go back and pick up all the plastic from these locations after we sorted and counted um nearly all of it that we put into a a spreadsheet um and we dumped the plastic on the state steps. We had some media out there, some photographers, uh, went really well, uh, made a big impact. And yeah, now it's, it's at a, a friend of ours house, um, who's been, um, holding on to it for us. And we we're super grateful for him. And we've been in the works with the city of West Palm beach to put in an art installation downtown um using a lot of the plastic that we collected uh, to make a statement and to represent um the check that we did um so the city of west palm beach is has shown interest in um getting rid of single-use plastics within their own municipality um so they believe this would help make a, a statement um but otherwise it's it's really hard to dispose of it and not have it end up back in the environment or you know not have it break down and become more more harmful for us or the environment and yeah and it, it's all endocrine disruptors it's all it messes with our hormones it messes with our genetics it's it mutates our genes and so even if you live your whole life and you're thinking oh well i'm fine you know and i'm I'm, for the older generation that's you know 70 years old or so right now like oh yeah i've used plastic i'm fine and it's like well what you don't know is that using that plastic throughout your life if you've had ken if you've had children that you've passed this genetic mutation on to the next and they might not even see uh the effects and symptoms of what it can do but we're finally seeing it now and it's it's not just plastic but plastic's a huge part of it and in the form of autism cancers um, uh, hormonal issues testosterone issues uh, diabetes obesity Um, so it's it's definitely it's definitely uh, linked to um, a plethora of things so if if we're going to solve this we need to start looking at plastic kind of like we do nuclear waste and although we don't have any really efficient, effective way to store nuclear waste, same goes for plastic. And so it needs to be solved. Both of those issues need to be solved at the same uh, level of uh, importance. And um, if we keep th- tricking ourselves that recycling, it's going to work. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that things are going to get better anytime soon. And I don't mean to sound like gloom and gloom about it, but that's that's just the truth that people need to know. And, and if people know that, they have the power to change that. I don't know. I, I feel doom and gloom anyway from, you know, <laughs> the current climate crisis and plastics. And I, I so I don't feel like there's any, any good trajectory either. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's, uh, that's 
the frustrating truth about all this stuff and it's like um you know the longer we kid ourselves that it's gonna it's not affecting anybody the more people it's gonna affect right um well maybe we can step away from the doom and gloom <laughs> and focus <laughs> maybe a little bit on something more positive what were some of the more like beautiful aspects of i mean you're trekking along the beaches of florida um some of the beautiful. prettier places um maybe some of the secret spots you found that you know maybe you don't want to let everybody know about but maybe <laughs> something something you want to share or any cool animal encounters too sure heather I th- I'll, I'll let you go first yeah, so um, so I grew up in Maine, as I said, and I ended up going to college in St. Petersburg, Florida at Eckerd, and um, it was during that time that I, I really developed this love and fascination of Florida and its wildlife. You know, I had never seen such beautiful, amazing birds so close before, you know, like I'd never seen any birds like that in Maine and, you know, all of these alligators you could get up close to. And it was, you know, it's a subtropical environment. So it was just everything about it was just so, um, so appealing and amazing to me. And, um, and I would go back home to New England and people up there always think of Florida as just this state where, you know, your grandparents go to retire and um, there's golf courses and there's Jimmy Buffett bars and, you know, like all of, all of the, like Disney, all of the things you associate with Florida. And I, I felt like I was constantly defending Florida and just being like, no, there's so much amazing, beautiful wildlife there. There's so many nature preserves. There's, there's so many trails. Like if you really get out and you look for those things, you'll find them. And it's, it's like stepping into another world. Um, and I feel like not a lot of people really know about those spaces in the state. And being out on a beach that doesn't have any high rises on it, doesn't have any bars, no loud music, no um, no sunbathers. You're just out there with the sound of the waves and the birds nesting on the beach. And, and there's nothing like it. I mean, you feel like you've stepped back in time and you've discovered what Florida used to look like and what Florida used to feel like. And then you realize why everybody wanted to move here. (laughs) You realize why, um, you know, it is the way it is now because the beaches are beautiful. The the water is clear and amazing. We saw so many dolphins and sea turtles when we were paddling through the Everglades and the 10,000 islands. Um, Those, were definitely a highlight for me those islands um where not very many people um seemed to go to or were out there at least during the time that we were there which was um in april or may um so we found out (laughs) we found out that not even like the park rangers sorry to interrupt not even like the park rangers uh have even uh canoed or kayaked the entire um uh, Everglades 10,000 Island area and wow. so yeah and yeah. so when they were trying to give us like pointers and guide they're like oh well actually I've I've, uh, I've thought about doing it or I've gone out to that one island over there and Rabbit Key or whatnot and but I haven't gone to all the other ones or you know I haven't made it through the wilderness waterway and there's there were a few that have and a few that have planned to and I think we definitely sparked them to to just go out and do it, which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I think, I think um, the Wilderness Waterway and the 10,000 Islands are two of the places um, that I would highly recommend people visit um, and go camping because it's, it's really unlike any other part of Florida that at least we experienced during the trek. Um, And you can find these tiny little jewels of islands with sugar white sands and trees where you can set up your hammock and and you just have your like your own personal private paradise out there it's it's amazing like we were saying that must have been what the florida keys were like before they were developed yeah Um, yeah one of them one of them's named jewel jewel key anyway so you can go find that jewel and then there you go 
<laughs> the uh, Talbot uh, in North Florida, Talbot Island, uh, just south of Fernandina, I think was also one of the most memorable, most beautiful areas because it was, you know, there's no big buildings like South Florida there. And it's just, uh, it's like the old Florida, like Heather was saying. And there's like little caves and stuff that are like kind of dug into the sides of um, the rocks there. And it was otherworldly for sure, Talbot, um, Talbot Island in North Florida there. Okay. And Amelia Island. And Amelia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, well, I guess to kind of make a little bit focused on the Florida Trail here and hikers, how do you guys have any advice for hikers to reduce their own plastic waste? Because, okay, so I know, I know that Heather will understand, you know, you go to the grocery store, you get all the food you're going to go for your pack and you dump it all in baggies because you got to put everything in your pack and it's got to all fit. Um, what would you guys suggest for hikers that's feasible, that's lightweight? Is there, is there anything y'all came up with or you can think of off the top of the bat that would, that would work? Um, definitely like uh, dry food, like lentils and quinoa and stuff like that. I mean, as long as you have something like a jet boil, like Heather um, uh, put together uh, for us, um, that was that was really big. You know, we were able to eat what felt like, like a five course meal and, um, with very little plastic waste, if we could, you know, buy it in bulk. Um, but I have now, now since Heather's done the Appalachian trail, I've talked about doing the Appalachian trail myself and, uh, you know, I guess I'll have to find out how that'll go because I don't think I would see myself using, very much plastic i would try and stay plastic free um but that would that was definitely one of the hardest parts was you know stocking up you know we'd have to stock up on on bulk when and where we could because we didn't know if we were going to have that opportunity again and so um, where we couldn't do that and we ended up with plastic symptoms from our own you know we kept those to uh, document it and show people that you know part of the part of the issue is that there's not enough alternatives um, readily available for the consumers. And I would say to you that um, while while being plastic free is definitely uh, more challenging and adds more weight to your hiking experience, um, you know these trails have been around for a very long time. I know the Appalachian Trail was created in the 1930s and people through hike the Appalachian Trail without plastic water bottles and without Ziploc baggies. And um, so it's it's definitely been done before. Um, and I think that we've moved so far away from that because, of course, every year hikers are, are always trying to um, invent and create new ways to be lighter and more efficient. And, you know, and I get that, but it's like how ultralight can you possibly go before it's just, <laughs> you know, like you've go got faster. to go. <laughs> um, so it, it may just mean that your pack is heavier and it may just mean that, you know, you have to work a little bit harder. Maybe it takes you a little bit longer to do the trail so you can, you know, go and, and stock up in the places you need to stock up. But um, if that's, something that really means a lot to you and that is um a priority then i think that people will be able to find a way to make it work um as brian said the the jet boil stove is super helpful it's lightweight um i know a lot of through hikers use it and you know couscous doesn't weigh that much dried couscous um i know that um Jupiter hikes had inspired me to hike without a stove uh, because he just soaks all of his food. Um, mm-hmm. So you could also do that without a stove. You could just get, um, sometimes you can find dehydrated beans that they come in like flakes um, mm-hmm. or dehydrated hummus. It's kind of like a powder form and you can stock up in bulk on food items such as those which are super lightweight and then all you have to do is just add water and just let it 
soak for a little bit of time and then you have your meal. You can just bring some spices and whatnot to add. Um, that's a good, that's a good ad. Be plastic free, mm-hmm. just add water. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I guess after this trek, what did you guys make any changes in your own lives uh, in reducing more plastic or are you still looking to adjust and find ways to uh, do better? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Could always do better. Yeah. And it, it is true that, you know, a lot of it also just um, depends on where you live and your financial situation and your ability to be plastic free. You know, it's, it's not always easy for everyone to do. And we acknowledge that. Um, but you know, all you can do is really try your best and be more mindful and aware, um, of your purchasing habits. And I think that, you know, even that is making an impact and even just educating your friends and your family about it is making an impact. Um, so, you know, I I know for me, it's definitely made me not want to purchase um, a lot of kind of like snack foods, you know, because one of the items we found most of were um, like bags of chips, like little, you know, like Frito bags or che- Cheetos and um, we'd see those yeah. everywhere. We found one that wasn't even open. We got to enjoy together. <laughs> <laughs> bonus um but yeah same same for me with uh uh after hike 420 and like it was in 2017 like you know people's perspective back then was like oh uh plastic's not that big of a deal or you know like it it was like more like why do you care it's like whatever but fast forward to two years later um, like people are starting to get it and people are starting to see it and people are, you know, you can't really go to the beach anymore and not see it. And, um, which is a shame, um, that it takes that for us to realize that. Um, and even after hike 420, I definitely was much more uh, aware. Um, and it opened my eyes and it's kind of like looking at a picture on Instagram in a small square versus uh, a panoramic view and you get a panoramic view of the coastline and you're no longer looking at it like on the horizon just out to the ocean you're looking at it long ways and and as a as an organism that we're all a part of right well what is next for you two um are you guys gonna each go do your own hikes uh is there anything else in the plastic realm plastic symptoms that you're going to tackle um definitely um heather's got something awesome coming up yeah so um after the hike um after class trek it we definitely needed to take some downtime because it was very challenging mentally emotionally physically um so both of us felt very drained afterwards and kind of shell-shocked getting back into society which I knew was a very real thing from the Appalachian Trail you know like post-trail depression is is a real thing um you know it's it's hard to relate with with people sometimes even your friends and families you can tell them about what you experienced and what you saw but they weren't there with you so they can only understand to an extent um, so it was difficult, at least personally for me, um, trying to assimilate back into society and, and kind of, you know, get back into the grind of, of applying for work because both of us left our jobs to do this. Um, and we both, um, fundraised a lot. We had a GoFundMe page or we, we accepted donations and used a lot of that. And I know Brian used a lot of his personal savings um, to put into the track. And um, so it, it took a lot out of us um, personally and with our resources. So um, for me, um, I've been um, looking into kind of getting back into the animal rights movement as well. Um, And then um, coming up in October, um, I'll be participating 
um, just for a month with an environmental conservation program in the Seychelles Islands, uh, which are off the east coast of Africa, just north of Madagascar. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll be doing a lot of um, sea turtle nesting uh, monitoring, as well as monitoring shorebirds and removing invasive species, and also picking at the beaches. So I'm really interested to see what types of plastic wash up on their beaches and mm-hmm. how prevalent it is. And I know that um, they are also looking into the plastic problem. So it'll be very um, intriguing to see how another country um, approaches the issue and uh, see if there's ways that I could offer my experience and knowledge to help them out. Yeah, definitely, definitely epic on Heather's part doing that. Um, And she was totally right about the, the downtime. Like you're on such a high doing this thing and you're on your own and you know we've worked so hard to get this funding to accomplish this goal we accomplished this goal and it's like we ran this marathon and and at the end of the marathon we were just like worn down um and you know we only had each other to relate to um this trek and and what we saw and whether it was a bird or animals uh sea turtles washed up uh I know uh, Heather uh, found a, a, a bird skull that was wrapped with monofilament. Um, mm. So it definitely perished from being entangled. Um, and, and so we have those, those uh, real visions and images in our, in our minds. And, and so we walk with those and, and um, but as far as plastic symptoms, it's, it's still going and uh, we're just getting started um, so Heather's going to go out and do that. And, um, but our intentions for plastic symptoms is to continue awareness first and community involvement. And then we also are trying to, uh, connect with international nonprofits, um, and others throughout the state. Uh, we definitely helped connect a lot of nonprofits together. We think, and uh, a lot of community businesses, local businesses, um, zero waste shops, we tried to promote them as well. Um, and an idea that we came up with when we were hiking was, what if we did this again, but on the Pacific coast? And Or what if we did this again, but we did it as like a relay race with all the lifeguards? Um, <laughs> and, you know, so there's there's lots of ideas there. Um, and, and then lastly, the uh, sea change token um, built in the Ethereum network uh, to a blockchain uh, idea um, is just is just igniting. Um, so, uh, kind of kind of part of the vision as to bring awareness to the problem, um, but then also to try to help people make the right decisions by mitigating their plastic use um, and giving them a basically a thank you or a it's it's like a digital sticker. So we tried really hard not to, you know, use plastic waste to promote the trek, to promote the nonprofit, to promote ourselves. We tried to um, just stay away from giving people stickers and giving people shirts and things that are polluting the environment. Um, so we, we try to just keep it word of mouth and um, we're trying to create um, a digital space to share that experience with people. Okay. Well, speaking of that digital space, where can people follow uh, Plastic Symptoms and then maybe each of your individual, um, I don't know, social medias and things like that? Um, yeah, we're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, as Plastic Symptoms, YouTube. We have our first episode up that kind of gives you an explanation of the trek and how our, uh, like our first uh few days were um and we actually put that together as we were hiking so not only were we doing that we're also video editing (laughs) and stuff like that so plasticsymptoms.org um is where you can find out more information on all that and if any of that stuff interests you we definitely uh look forward to people reaching out to us that want to get involved um whether you are good at technology or you're good at social media you're good at awareness um or you have your own zero waste um, solutions. Um, we want to promote those. So 
Um, and uh, my personal Instagram is for the chickens. Um, so if you're also interested in animal rights side of things that, um, you know, I try to combine that love my personal Instagram and, um, and Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, connecting with me and speaking about, about your trek. I think it's awesome what you guys did. I, I hope, I mean, honestly, we're like 20 years kind of late on all of this, <laughs> I feel like, but I hopefully, you know, the more people are talking about it, the more I see with zero waste uh, Instagrammers and bloggers and people are, are trying. Um, I just hope it catches on and, and I'll do my best to, uh, to, to, to be better myself, but also to, to share what you guys are doing. And hopefully that inspires people to, to be better themselves. Thank you so much for having us on and for, you know, allowing us to dedicate this time for plastic awareness because it's such a huge issue. And, you know, as long as more people are, are aware, then, you know, we can each do our own part. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. And like she said, plastic awareness is such a huge part of it. And I mean, that goes into um, animal rights and, uh, and things like that. And where, the meat industry and the dairy industry that we know today wouldn't exist without plastic either. So there's, there's so many edges to plastic as, uh, as a benefit, but there's also so many edges to plastic as uh, a detriment. And um, a lot of these, a lot of these things are encircled together. Right. 